0: Welcome to the Uplus AI Podcast. I am your host, Ranga Sampath. In this show, we meet with people who are leading the change at the intersection of healthcare and artificial intelligence. We discuss their experiences, their challenges, and explore together where AI may drive the most impact. In addition to enjoy some fun and candid moments with the guests do check out the U+AI podcast which is an accompanying video segment to this podcast you can reach this as well as all past episodes at u+ai.com enjoy the podcast welcome everyone We have a specialist in public health medicine today who has an avid interest in clinical informatics, social media, and digital health. He currently lectures at the University of Malta Faculty of Health Sciences on the topics of digital health and social media in healthcare. He's also an author, a tutor, and digital health consultant focused on creating transformative and effective change. Within the World Federation of Public Health Association Governing Council, he represents the voices of students and young professionals in public health, and he is the vice president of the EUPHA section on digital health. He is the co-lead of the data management team of the COVID-19 public health response in Malta. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome to the U+AI podcast Dr Stefan Butijic
1: Thank you Ranga uh, really appreciate uh, this wonderful introduction cheers
0: Cheers and it was it was uh, great to contact you and I'm very happy that you uh, accepted to be on the U+AI podcast uh, I'm sure we'll have a wonderful conversation around all the activities that you've been engaged in, and most recently with the COVID-19 pandemic and the work that you've been involved in in Malta. Yeah, it's been been quite a ride, definitely. So (laughs) I'll definitely
1: remember this year for its good and its bad as well, uh, because we always have to take into consideration the challenges that we face in order to become a better person even. Um, But yeah, looking forward, yeah.
0: Sure. Um, so tell us, um, you know, this is, of course, my first time that I'm speaking with someone from Malta. Okay. <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about your country.
1: Yeah, so Malta's is uh, an island in the Mediterranean. It's about it. like on the officially we have more than half a million. We skipped it actually earlier on this year. And we are a member of the European Union. So this is uh, we're part of the European community. We're one of the 27 member states. And uh, we are uh, we're always constantly developing, you know, as a country. We're looking. We we have quite a history spanning back, let's say, thousands of years, you know. And we have his. We have uh, a lot of history. So if you if you ever come to Malta, you come to Malta not only for its um, you know cosmopolitan lifestyle, so but you also come to Malta for its history and and. And also, I think this um, the wonderful feeling about Malta is the closeness of everything, and uh, being it's it's very easy, let's say, to become part of the community in Malta. You know, it it will be very difficult to to be detached. You know, and uh, that is something an experience that uh, that I can recommend to anyone. Basically,
0: sure. I mean, um, I'm sure uh, some of our listeners may have been there, and I'm certainly excited to speak to someone from there and know about your country. So thank you so much. Yes, welcome. <laughs> so, um, you know, while I was reading your bio and, you know, getting to know more about you, uh, you know, I found that, you know, you, you're interested in clinical informatics, social media, and digital health, right? So could you sort of tell us how those are all connected? How did you land up, uh, you know, in this combination?
1: Well, that's very interesting. I think it goes back way to, way back to my secondary school and sixth form. I'm not sure if you uh, if you guys have sixth form, but basically this is the preparatory years before the university, and there was um, something which pushed me towards medicine. First of all, I was surrounded by people who actually took, took up that course. Um, so the, that's the reality. The choice of uh, going going into medicine basically was really motivated by that at that time. Possibly it might have been not a fully mature decision, but looking back, I don't regret it at all, even though it came with a lot of challenges. But then always I always had an inclination towards technology. I was always seeing the innovative aspect. I always appreciated modernist techniques and trying to understand, like, you know, what's possible? What can we do better using innovation technology? It always intrigued me. It was always at the back of my It always kind of itched me. There was like this itch, so to say, you know, to mm-hmm. try to make the maximum use of technology. That means if that technology is available, let's use it. You know, not let's, let's not uh, waste this opportunity. And that's that's something that always uh, motivated me, even like being in the work environment. I was still seeing, despite um, going around with a smartphone, was still seeing a lot of processes stuck in paper and headgear, and I think that motivated me to to such an extent that I decided to take this career, even though uh, it came with, together with a package of you know skepticism, trying to figure out how to solve this because it there are so many different dynamics. But that is really what motivated me, seeing these challenges and. Uh, trying my very best to try to find a solution even also something that i would like to point out is what really motivated me a lot is the element of behavior change especially when you want to get you know when you uh, want people to to take up um, a new system there is a lot of behavior change going on and also kind of identifying the right opportunity and learning a lot from this you know that that that's really what pushed me down this um, mm down this road
0: yeah so uh, I mean talking about that you know um, I came to know about the work that you're doing in Malta and um, I guess you were part of a team that was building the contact tracing app you know for COVID-19 I know many countries uh, were doing it at that time I think uh, countries like Singapore and South Korea had done that Uh, but of course there was great debate on you know how this would be built and you know there were a lot of concerns around privacy and all that and at that time, uh, you know, I got to know that, um, you know, probably through your LinkedIn that um, you guys had built something in uh, in Malta. Uh, I was just curious. I mean, you know, of course, I followed some of your posts and all that. I was just curious, uh, you know, with the lockdown, with the COVID-19 pandemic and the quarantine and all that, it must have been extremely difficult to sort of pull a team together And, you know, uh, have this mission and get something built uh, in the time that you did. So uh, how did you really manage that? Because, I mean, obviously all of us were going through stressful times and there were changed environments and the way of our work and personal life, everything changed. So how did you manage to sort of, you know, put everyone together and, you know, sort of make this app?
1: You know, uh, I think there there were, were multiple elements which contributed to this. The one which strikes me the most out of all of this is stakeholder alignment. That means that when 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 we came when we went into this COVID-19 contact tracing app, everyone was aligned. There was uh, there was collaboration, and this, the app could only happen because we, the Ministry for Health, the team, on the COVID-19 response team within the Ministry for Health, worked with uh, two other major stakeholders. That is the Modern Information Technology Agency and uh, the MDIA, which is the Modern Digital Innovation Authority. When we all got together on one, let's say, virtual table, so to say, because we were literally, it was very, very rare that we actually met in person. The 99.9% of our meetings actually were all online, all virtual. So that flexibility also enabled us to do many, many, many things. And I think actually, even the, the fact that we weren't dependent on person-to-person meetings or physical meetings really increased our productivity immensely. I mean, the number of things that we were able to deliver within a period of six months, mm-hmm. I believe that the usual pace, if we went through the Pre-COVID nineteen pandemic pace. I think they would have taken much longer to develop. Uh, so there is this. There has been this significant change that I think needs to be mentioned. So, so if I had to kind of like mention even that stakeholder alignment, uh, the virtual meetings which really enabled us. But last but not least, is that we fully embraced open source technologies. If this wasn't if this wasn't done. And we, in our case, we used the DP3T technology for the contact tracing app. I think it wouldn't have been possible. We would have it delivered on time. If we had to create everything from scratch ourselves, it would have been very close to impossible to deliver in such a short period of time. So stakeholder alignment, uh, virtual meetings, and also, but not least, the use of open source technology really, really helped us accelerate our efforts significantly.
0: Mm, Fantastic. Well, thank you. That sounds uh, good. You talked about um, stakeholder alignment, uh, um, you know, the virtual meetings, which obviously because of the pandemic, all of us uh, had to move to a virtual mode. And then the use of open source uh, code to kind of help you build this uh, app uh, quickly. Uh, Right. Um, I mean, obviously still it took a lot of effort and I'm sure the team must have been committed and you had a business objective to meet and obviously, you know, something that can be used, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic for contact tracing. Um, so that said, um, doctor, there were a lot of concerns about uh, privacy. Uh, at least we've heard the concerns in, you know, in the U.S. there were a lot of concerns. In the U.K. there were a lot of concerns. We heard about how um uh, i guess google and apple were cooperating to build an architecture that would sort of address the privacy concerns or minimize the uh, issues there and all that so uh, how did your team manage that how did what kind of mechanisms did you put in or like uh, where did you draw your inspiration for the architecture from uh, how how did you uh, sort of get around those things
1: i think we, we were really focused on being transparent so even for example the code of the app is available on open source there has there was a lot of work done on the information security audit that means that we actually worked with a specific audit firm to actually audit the app and took to to ensure that all the processes behind the app are transparent Mm -hmm. we worked very very closely also with with, um, with the legal team so there was a legal framework and actually there was a subs- there was some there was legislation which was issued in relation to the contact tracing app. So even that strengthened the use case and strengthened the the like the foundation of the app. So this is a fact it's, it's very interesting. I think it's quite it's a remarkable milestone actually for digital health and public health and more that there was this um, there was, the, there was the subsidiary legislation, which was specifically related to the contact tracing app EMOTA. And it outlines also the responsibilities of the different stakeholders. So that was very, very strong. And bringing all of this into, into the equation and also the fact that we went for the DP3T consortium. Uh, which was the, the, the fully decentralized approach. I think that those were like important ingredients for success there, and to actually kind of bring forward, you know, the how how important it was for us to uh, to make sure that you know that we focus on the privacy of the user, because after all, if the user is not confident in the application or is not confident in the application, then it would lose its impact wouldn't have the desired impact and the, for the contact tracing and the eff- effectiveness as well. So this was really critical for us that we make sure that we have the user's full trust.
0: Hmm. Um, I mean, that's an interesting point, right? Because um, uh, sometimes when we talk about, uh, you know, digital health and you want to solve a problem, uh, most often we, uh, you know, what comes to mind, at least to technologists and uh, is that it's it's a te- it's a technical problem we can solve it right so you have open source you you know team software developers come together they solve it uh, but you know in the case that that you did you know developing this app even though you know you sort of solved the technical problems and possibly you had legislative help right at the end of the day uh, the users of that app have to be convinced that this is the right thing to do right so how did you really solve that problem because somewhere it requires the trust of the people and uh, at, at this point it's not a, it's probably not a technological problem uh, it probably requires different skills and different ways to approach it so what were your um, approaches towards that
1: no i mean like uh, to um, to the, to get the user on your side I think you need to communicate your value proposition very, very well. And also, what was, I think, what was critical for the support of this app is that we had two ministries, basically, who were involved because of the the different stakeholders. And the fact that there were, oh, even, like, there was a minister and a parliamentary secretary when it was launched, when it was launched public, even that fact that there was uh, a public launch made a world of difference for us. In fact, the majority of, that, let's say, the, the peak of downloads was actually during that uh, launch, which made a big, big difference. Because then, once you get those uh, those users, then there would be others who would be interested or become interested over different interventions. So these were really, really critical. You know, and then, once again, that's where the stakeholder alignment comes in. That's where the stakeholder engagement comes in and being involved actively with them. In reality, as well, a well-defined communication strategy also supports this. And I think now one of our biggest challenges that we have is to maintain these efforts, especially over the coming months, and especially until we achieve the desired, uh, you know, immunity levels within our population. Because it's not going to happen overnight. The vaccine will will uh, will be an important tool in this toolkit. It's a very, very important tool and it's one of the biggest solutions in reality. But, you know, we uh, have to follow up and the progress and we have to follow closely and we have to develop this progress step by step. And the, definitely the contact tracing app would be an important tool within the transition as well, until especially we seriously get that confidence and ensuring that uh, everyone is protected. And that's like the mantra of public health.
0: Sure. So um, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, you know, now that you have the experience of building um, such a digital health app, you know, for this particular crisis, uh, you know, what are your learnings that you take away in terms of building digital health apps, right? I mean, I I know there is a proliferation of digital health apps. There are many startups which are doing some excellent work in this area. They're probably the uh, you know the bigger companies as well who are doing uh, work towards digital health. So, what would be your learnings that you've gathered from this experience that you've been through, which you think is useful for anybody who is, uh, let's say, working on a digital health app?
1: I think gradual progress is important. So, I think it's important to understand that you don't deliver a perfect product first time round. That you mm-hmm. Deliver first iteration, then you continue developing on it, you get more user feedback and you continue building and building and building that's critical with I think that without that uh, process in place, it will be very, very difficult for uh, digital health app to be successful. Secondly I think is to you know to put the user in the first place to put the individual the citizen the patient in the first place once you do that. Then you will be in a better position to succeed. So let's take into consideration the contact tracing app. Mm-hmm. Because we gave such a high importance to the to the user's privacy, then even people, for example, they they when they see that there was such a big effort done, they actually end up being your champions. Even if you see, for example, the comments within our app store page and within our um, Google Play page, you start seeing that when, when someone, for example, says, ah, oh, this app, for example, is ridiculous, It's uh, it's uh, the government is tracking our steps, in reality, it's the total opposite. And you see someone is standing up for you, and standing up for you, not in a way which could be politically motivated, but in a scientific way, explaining to that person, like, listen, it's actually this way, you know. And then that person, and that's the best part, actually, being the converted one and saying ah all right you're actually right I shouldn't have worried that much so I think when this is when I think this is one of the measures of success when people start championing for your digital health app then you know that you're going in the right direction of course you know taking into consideration all the news and what's happening now it's kind of plateaued a bit. But then that's where you uh, need to sit down and rethink uh, a strategy forward and how to use this, how to so even so this applies really well for the health apps when there is a moment where you see that uh, things start you know plateauing or they need some refreshing. It's good to kind of reflect, go back to the board, and see what you can do better to offer a better user experience or to continue mm-hmm. building on your value proposition. That would be the experience I would share from all of this,
0: right? Right, um, and that means that you know the first thing that you said, which which is also uh, reflects here, is that that means that there is no thing called a uh, you know like a perfect digital app that I will ship you know in the first iteration. It's like you know it, it's probably like you ship something, you look at the feedback, you iterate on it, you improve in uh, maybe small increments. And then you try to satisfy your users. And like you said, if you still find that after some time uh, the uptake has slowed down and it has plateaued, you again go back to the drawing board to say which aspect of it you can improve. So it's, it's more like a continuous build, release, refine, iterate kind of cycle rather than one big bang release and you say, hey, I'm there.
1: Yeah, because you know, a big bang release first of all is, um, I think, an old way of doing things, like having everything. Poof! I mean, and also we have, we need to make it very clear to how to understand big bang release, because big bang is when you, for example, you want to deploy something and you want to deploy it across multiple centers all at, at one time, whereas uh, when we're thinking of a high, let's say a gradual approach, we're thinking of like slowly increasing. In this case all right it's in reality it was a big actually it was a big bang launch technically because uh, you had this launch across the whole population but in reality there was a lot of gradual build up you know as whether someone got someone else on board you know and there was this interest so there was that aspect as well in all of this then again yes as we go along And as you build the experience, yes, you continuously improve. And this this is not only in the app, in fact, because we have delivered other projects. And I've seen this, for example, in a recent project that we're working on on to try to streamline the processes for the testing of our population. And that required an incremental and all continuously improving. And... That is where you have to be there for your users, and when you are there for our users and and listening to them and listening to their concerns and acting on those concerns, not just letting them go and not doing anything about them, then that's and that's where you get the user's trust. That's where you get the individual's trust when you when you show that you are listening. So. Whoever does any digital hand tap, if they don't listen, they're not going to succeed. But if they listen, my, oh, my, will they be successful? And that's where you, I think, that's where you, it will make a difference.
0: That's a, that's a very good point, uh, you know, sort of the aspect of listening in, you know, whether it's to your customers or your users or how we define, you know, the population that you're serving. And it's, uh, like you said, it's so important to listen, and then maybe act on, you know, the feedback that you're getting. Um, In fact, uh, one of the doctors that I've met, uh, Dr. T.R. Gopalan, he refers that this skill of listening is so important between the doctor and the patient. And he says that in modern times, probably uh, there has been some erosion of that. But if that were restored, if, if, uh, you know, the skill of listening was really uh, paid attention to, uh, I think it would be a much more significant and important doctor-patient relationship, which would really, and that is what probably the patient is looking for, for somebody to understand their problems and uh, uh, give a meaningful ear and then tell them what it is. And I think what you're saying in, in the, is sort of similar in the context of digital health apps is about releasing and then listening to the users. And uh, then sort of forming your ideas upon what is important to do, what is important to fix, what works, what doesn't work.
1: Yeah, in fact, I think uh, one thing which has been working really well is having a title in it, DevOps Team. That means having a team, which are of developers and operational staff that are really closely working together. Because if you end that you have the structures in place to solve tasks and issues as they come, I think that is also a very important structure, like this DevOps approach, which I've started noticing. And, and I mean, actually, personally myself, I started embracing this approach actually this year, and uh, this has been very powerful, I would say, approach to bring these teams together and have regular discussions and communications.
0: Right, right, so um continuing our discussion on uh, digital health apps, right, so let me give you a scenario. so let's say you have a million dollars to invest, right so what are some promising areas of digital health apps or even you know when we talk about artificial intelligence and healthcare you know uh what are some of the areas there that you will invest your money in?
1: I'll be very straight. I think if I had that many dollars, I would invest in education, 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 education. I, 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 you know, I mean, for example, one of the biggest challenges that we have faced in the pandemic is um, bringing everyone on board when it comes to information systems. So, despite if you might have the best information system in the world, but if the people are not one hundred percent convinced, or they see they doubt a system, then you're gonna have challenges, and I think that is one of the biggest, uh, biggest, biggest uh, challenges that we're facing in general. This is not just in the COVID nineteen pandemic, but in general, throughout the population, even when it comes to other digital health interventions, and and that's where you know marketing, communication, awareness close listening, having a a very dedicated communications team is critical for any digital health intervention. That means if you face challenges where you you can't communicate or you can't um, answer back or you can't uh, give feedback, that's where you're going to lose people. And I think education plays an important part in that and also constantly communicating. you need the people to do that and you need the resources and you need to do it regularly and you need to do it in a consistent way and only then and only then will i will i will there be success so all the million dollars into into education communication and i believe all the rest will fall into place even behavior change you know so trying to understand the context so if it were for me we would employ. An army of behavior change consultants and and uh, you know and the army of researchers to try to understand closely what is exactly that people want. I think that will be a key a key ingredient in, in our success.
0: Right. I mean that's an interesting answer because you know um, I was expecting you would lay out some three four areas uh, of you know where you would invest, but I, I think you you have sort of changed the way I look at it because, you know, you have uh, you've given us some new thing to think about of how... Fact, would yeah, Randa, and, yeah you would be surprised
1: how not everyone is digitally literate, for example. It could be something as simple as using Excel or Word mm-hmm. or, you know, or being fluent with using a web browser. If you don't, if people don't get this basic stuff, Mm. And how successful are' going to be with implementing a, an app for example. So we really 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 need to focus on education and awareness and communication and understanding yeah. what are the needs.
0: Yeah and, and what you say like uh, rings so true um, in a country like India and in a developing country like India where we have a huge population and um, though you know uh, we're doing very well in software and contributes uh, and that contributes, uh, a significant amount of the GDP, but yet, you know, if you take the general population at large, what you say is absolutely true. It's not that people are adept at using digital technologies and even the ones that you mentioned, right? It's, it's getting better. Obviously it's getting, you know, I would say it's better than what it was last year. It's better than what it was two years back, but still there is a lot of ground to cover. So definitely what you say uh, rings true
1: if if the your workforce is not digitally literate literate you're gonna have challenges you know even like explaining something or even like how people grasp uh, but i also i would also wanted to say that i've realized as well that sometimes when people are pushed you know or they or they're really so for example the pandemic you know challenged the way that people look at uh, the way they approached their doctors so there was a huge increase in request for telemedicine and even there is now for example a, new, a whole new telemedicine center simply because there was this very 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 big challenge and even approaching covid-19 patients for example they required telemedicine they required regular calls so all of these played a critical part in all of this and and that pushed like organizations to include telemedicine as part of their workflows, as part of their rosters, as part of their reimbursement workflows. So even the time of the doctor, which is paid, it wasn't used only on physical clinics, but it was also used on telemedicine clinics. And that's where you get the changes, and and it was needed. So I think this COVID nineteen pandemic, with all its bad things and all its um all its tra- tragedies. Let's say that we're involved with COVID nineteen, from a digital health perspective, it, it it created the enough trigger to get people to start thinking about the way they practiced or the way they do medicine or the way they, they approach. You know, so these are all very interesting things. Even like if you notice, and this will definitely have an impact on healthcare, is how people look at food delivery startups. For example, during this pandemic, the food delivery startup business flourished because people started saying, "Oh, I can, I can literally, you know, just order my food through a smartphone app." And because of the the changes that will happen in these kind of businesses, especially food delivery, there will be inevitably a consequential increase in um, demand for healthcare on demand because if food was on demand, how about healthcare? And they start questioning these things, and this is something that. It's one of the biggest challenges that we'll be facing in the next five to ten years. How are we going to provide healthcare on demand, even as a, even from the government perspective, even from the private perspective? Because there is going to be a demand because it happened in other sectors in Malta. Hmm.
0: hmm. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. I think certainly makes sense. Um. um you, you know the insights that you're you're talking about. So, um, Doctor Buticic. Um, uh, you know, you're a doctor uh, and then you uh, you you have an interest in technology and you you're part of this digital health app movement and now um, you're actively involved in the public health response, COVID-19 public health response in Malta. So these are you know, sort of different hats that you've worn. It's not like you've just been uh, a medical uh, professional. In your view, right? So if you were to uh, tell medical grad school students, you know, who are just going through their medical school and probably they're going to uh, graduate next year or uh, maybe even their postgraduate medical school next year, what would you tell them? I mean, especially now with the pandemic and what you've seen in terms of movement in digital health and the potential for artificial intelligence and healthcare, all of these different trends or movements that are happening, uh, what would you really tell them uh, which will help them sort of be prepared for the times that that are to come?
1: I would tell them that their job might not look the same in 10 years' time or in 15 years' time, that they need to be ready for change. And that change will be part of their everyday life. I think that's that's one thing I would tell them to prepare them for their upcoming uh, years that is that they they have to be ready to understand that in order for us to be able to deal with the increasing changes of increasing populations, to be able to deal with the increasing burden of chronic diseases, we really need to look at more scalable technologies, and that means you know using artificial intelligence. And uh, using electronic health records, using business intelligence, all of this needs to come into play, and will allow us to scale our efforts. Especially because taking into consider- consideration that we're not, we don't have enough healthcare professionals. So because of this constantly growing deficit, we need to look at scalable technologies to allow us to be mean and lean in our approaches to dealing with. Uh, population heads. So that's gone. That's, I think, will be the biggest changes ahead. And that's what I would tell them.
0: Yeah. And also, the fact I think a very important point that you talked about is that uh, uh, sort of be open to change. And I, I mean, this is true in technology. I, I've seen this as a software professional, a software engineer. It's like, um you know, you have to be open to learn new things all the time. I mean, I can no longer say that, you know, I will learn only one software language or, you know, I studied these concepts of computer science in um, in my undergrad and they will help me build my career, you know, of 15, 20 years because things are changing so rapidly. So, you know, probably if that is how even healthcare is going to change. Then uh, the important point that you, uh, that you made about being open to the fact that things are going to change. And then we have probably, we need to probably relearn, or sometimes we call it unlearn and then relearn. So we have to be open to the possibilities of doing that, possibly multiple times throughout our career.
1: Yeah, maybe multiple times is an understatement at this stage, especially this year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, um, thank you. It's been, um, you know, it's been a fascinating conversation with you, uh, Dr. Buttigieg. Um We've talked about several aspects of digital health, uh, especially your uh, role in uh, developing the COVID-19 tracing app, a digital health app in Malta, which was successfully delivered. And, you know, a lot of people in Malta are using it. And you definitely see its further use until the population gets Uh, vaccination and I think most interesting to me was how you made that happen what what you think were the key factors that sort of worked you know in your team and um, and the learnings that you took from that because the the learnings are more applicable broadly to uh, a digital health apps that that are being built by uh, so many people and startups uh, around the world and uh, of course the uh, you know the opinion that sort of perked my ears up, or you know maybe really sit back, is when you talked about investing, and you said that you would rather invest in education and improving the digital literacy, because without that, uh, really the adoption of digital health apps or the scalability of that is not going to come. So people have to be really digitally conversant and digitally skilled before you can really start seeing significant impact. So, I mean, that really um, was a different insight than what I was expecting. So thank you for that. And uh, I'm sure our listeners uh, would appreciate that as well. And if they could share some of their stories, you know, that'll be great.
1: You're welcome, Ranga. It was a pleasure to be part of uh, the U Plus AI segment. Over.
0: Thank you so much, Um, Really happy to meet you and learn so much from you, Dr. Burtchen.